Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hello, and welcome to the Latin American History Podcast, episode 77, The Fall of the Muisca. On the steamy bank of the Magdalena River, Quesada waited for his ships to arrive. He had successfully made the overland trek from Santa Marta, but when his boats finally did appear, only two of the seven had made it. What exactly happened to the ships is unfortunately unclear. This is another case of sources and details being hard to come by. Two are said to have sunk, but where and why is unknown, and for some reason the rest returned to Santa Marta. It wasn't a good start, but despite the issues they must have faced, the two boats which had arrived did at least prove that it was possible to travel a significant way down the river, and in doing so they laid the groundwork for countless other journeys, which will connect the interior to the outside world for much of Colombia's history. It is actually possible to go much further up the Magdalena. There are now many towns which, despite their distance to the sea, have port in their names. Puerto Boyacá, Puerto Berrio, and Puerto Wilches, for example. Along with places like Barranca Bermeja and Onda, they will form lifelines for the communities in the mountains on either side of the river. For now, though, Casada was heading into the unknown, and establishing river ports was something to deal with in the distant future. He did not know where the geography would take him, so the job of the ships was done. He sent them back and continued a bit further along the Magdalena, before taking a tributary, which is now named the Rio Apon, up into the hills. They found a small settlement at the place where the Opon met the Magdalena, and there they found that its inhabitants possessed a store of salt. While it wasn't quite gold or silver, salt was still a valuable commodity used to preserve food in a time where refrigeration did not exist, and a place where the hot and humid climate meant that food would go off even quicker. This was moderately encouraging and it hinted at the possibility that they might find somewhere where they could enrich themselves through salt mining. Quesada jumped on the opportunity to present his men with good news. Tropical environments were always difficult for Europeans, and usually inflicted heavy casualties through disease. This expedition was no different, and his army had been greatly reduced already. Alongside those who had died, he had sent many sick soldiers back with the boats and those that remained were losing faith. Ascending into the mountains was another way of persuading his men that it would all be worth it. As he gained altitude, the climate became cooler, 
and more like what they would have been used to back in Europe. They found that the highlands were much more densely inhabited by indigenous people, and in the mind of a Spanish conquistador, more people living in more complex society meant more things to loot. Soon they had reached the northern edge of Muisca territory, and in a town called Nemocon, they found a working salt mine. The Muisca shared a common language and culture, so it's possible to refer to them as a distinct people. They were not, however, politically united. Historians talk about a polity named the Muisca Confederation. This was a sort of fluid alliance of individual local rulers, who gave up some of their power to higher rulers, but who still retained plenty of autonomy. Some, in the northwest, were completely independent, but the rest were divided into two main quasi-states. In the northeast were the Zaki, whose leader was known as the Oa. In the south were the Zipa, whose leader was called the Siipka. Of those independent chiefs, the most important were the rulers of Sogomoso. He was perhaps the Muisca's most important religious site, a temple to their sun god. The responsibility of the two main leaders related to defence and warfare. They did not appear to have set out to conquer neighbouring peoples, but they were often at war with them. Depending on the seriousness of the threat, different levels of leader would unite, and for the most serious threats, it was possible that the Zipa and the Zake would unite with each other and the independent rulers to jointly defend Muisca territory. They lived in towns and large villages, and had a complex and connected economy. Besides the Aztec and the people who surrounded them, and the Inca, together with their subjugated neighbours. Many historians talk about the Muisca as the next most complex civilization at the time that the Spanish were arriving in the Americas. Their economy was mainly based on agriculture and salt mining, and it was well integrated into the economies of their neighbours. They traded their salt and the food they grew to get the things they could not produce themselves. There wasn't actually any gold to be had within their territory. So despite its importance to their culture, it had to be imported from outside. So too, in large part, were the emeralds, which they also valued. There were some places where the Muisca could mine the precious stones, but a lot of their supply came from the Muzo people to the west. The Muisca Confederation had existed for about a hundred years when Quesada arrived, but it's thought that the Muisca people themselves had migrated to the region at some point hundreds of years before that. As Quesada continued southwards, up into the high plains of today's Cundinamarca, he entered the land of the Zipa. Their Shibka, a man named Tikesusa, responded with hostility, sending an army to attack these strange interlopers. They were easily defeated, however, and so Tikesusa managed to retreat to his fortress. The Spanish followed him, and again he ordered his men to go out and attack. Again this failed. Feeling confident in his ability to defeat the Muisca, Quesada left him there, and went to the town of Bacata, which served as the Zipa capital. He found it burnt to the ground. The Zipa had realised that the Spanish threat was so serious that they would be engaged in an existential fight and so denying them access to their capital by destroying it was a worthwhile move. Quesada decided to rebuild it and make it his base. 
He butchered the Muisca name for the settlement. Bacata became Bogota, and he gave it the full title, Santa Fe de Bogota. From here, Quesada organized a quick campaign to subdue the other rulers. He sent a lieutenant to conquer the Zaki, and their leader tried to appease him with gifts. This didn't work, and the Spanish won the battle, which they forced upon the Zaki. They then occupied his capital and founded a city there, today's Tunja. The independent rulers of the northwest were also quickly defeated, and supposedly by accident, the Spanish burnt the great temple to the sun god. It had all happened so quickly that the various rulers had been unable to coordinate a combined resistance. They might have stood more of a chance if they'd been able to come together, but having seen how things went in Mexico and Peru, it probably wouldn't have been enough anyway. Tique Sousa was tracked down to Facatativa in the north of his territory, where he was ambushed in the night and killed. This was a fate shared by the other three main leaders. Within one year, 1537, they were all dead. There was some continued resistance. Both the Zaque and the Zipa named new leaders, and after a period of trying to work together with the Spanish, both of these realised that it was futile, and so they rebelled. The Zipa leader had even formed a brief alliance with them, as, attempting to take advantage of the chaos, the neighbouring Panche people were starting to raid, and this was bad for both parties. Together, the Zipa and the Spanish saw off the Panche, but after that their alliance quickly collapsed. Both of these last leaders died in 1539. The Zaque leader was killed after being captured in battle, and the last ruler of the Zipa was killed after he surrendered. While all of this was going on, almost simultaneously, Belalcazar was making his way north and entering Colombia from Ecuador. The two Spanish parties were unknown to each other, and Belalcazar had no idea that Quesada's expedition was currently conquering the Muisca. He didn't even know of the existence of such a people. He began his expedition in January 1536, heading north into the area which is now called Pasto. As he went, he faced an increasing number of attacks from the indigenous people whose land he passed through, and although none of this was enough to cause him real issues, he decided it would be prudent to make a base for himself. He founded the settlement named Popajan, and left some of his men there, before continuing north to reach the Rio Cauca. Here he founded another city, which he named Santiago de Cali. Popajan will remain one of Colombia's most important cities for a long time. Now it's a regional centre, with one of the best preserved colonial centres in the country. Cali is today Colombia's third largest city. From Cali, Belalcazar launched an expedition westwards, in an attempt to find the Pacific. This would have taken him into the thick jungle of the Chocó, and so it was unsuccessful. He decided that the best course of action was to try and follow the Magdalena northwards, hoping to reach the Caribbean coastline, but doing this would have required resupplying, so he decided to return to Quito beforehand. Heading back down past Popajan, Belalcazar was confronted with an unwelcome surprise. In the Pasto area, just north of today's Ecuadorian border, he discovered a newly founded Spanish settlement. 
We have, of course, gone backwards in time a bit, from the end of the series on the conquest of Peru. At this point, Pizarro was still alive, and he was still in control down there. Belalcazar was committing an act of disloyalty to him by striking out on his own. With the news of Belalcazar's expedition having reached him, Pizarro sent a man named Pedro de Pueyes to go to Quito, confiscate his property, and then to head him off in Colombia. Pizarro must have hoped to extend his own voice royalty to the north, rather than let this territory slip into somebody else's hands. Pueyes had gone north, and he had founded Pasto as a way of asserting that this was part of Peru. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price, and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. It appears that all this unnerved Belalcazar. He spoke to Pueyes and gathered as much information as he could, but he did not force a confrontation. He didn't try to take over the settlement, and Pueyes was left to continue his work. Instead, Belalcazar decided that he needed to reach Quito, and work out exactly what was going on before doing anything rash. By the time he reached the city, the situation had changed again. The king had intervened, and he had decided that everything north of Quito was to be given to Gaspar de Espinosa. You might remember him as the man who was appointed to negotiate a truce between Pizarro and Almagro. You might also remember that he won't be around much longer, as he will die in Cusco. But of course, Belalcazar wasn't to know this. So for now, it looked like all his plans might be in vain. Everything he had explored, and the settlements he'd already created, legally no longer belonged to him. He decided that the only way he would be able to stake a claim would be to take the risk of defying the king, and going all out to conquer Colombia. If he could succeed in doing this, he might be able to persuade the king to recognise his achievements, and let him keep his conquests. He now had no reason to take Pizarro's schemes into account. When he reached Pasto, he ordered the settlement to be abandoned, and having reinforced in Quito, he had a bigger army, and so he could enforce this. He told Pueyes that he now worked for him, and so Pueyes came along with him for the journey. From Papajan, he went east up into the highlands. On my last trip to Colombia, I travelled through this region and saw for myself some of the places Belalcazar went. It is spectacularly beautiful, but for the most part, it's at very high altitude, and each of its many valleys is separated from its neighbours by high mountains, which make travel slow and difficult. It's not surprising that Belalcazar passed through without trying to settle it. As he did, he managed to find the source of the Rio Cauca, and he reached Lake Bue, a sacred site high up in the Purace National Park. When I went the same way, everything was shrouded in mist and completely unpopulated. Today it's still one of the most indigenous parts of Colombia. A legacy of the fact that Belalcazar and the people who came after him saw this place as too geographically hostile to settle in. He descended down the other side of these mountains and reached the Magdalena, before turning northwards to follow it. As it makes its way through Neva and Tolima, 
the river descends into the broad, low-lying valley which it has carved out for itself. While the mountains still line each side, the plains down there would have made travelling relatively quick and easy. Eventually he decided to call a halt, and to send a small force into the mountains to the west. He hoped to find a pass which could lead him back to Cali on the other side. He didn't know it, but on the top of the mountains, on the eastern bank, directly up from the spot where he was camped, was Bogotá. For a second time, Belalcazar found himself surprised by an unexpected group of Spaniards. This time it was a patrol sent down to explore by Quesada. Belalcazar went back to Bogotá with them, and there he and Quesada sat down to exchange information. There was yet another surprise in store, when a third man turned up from the east soon afterwards, whose existence neither Belalcazar or Quesada knew of. Because telling this man's story would involve going too far up a side alley, and because it only intertwines with this one at this moment, we will deal with it next episode, and I won't talk about him here. The three leaders then sat down and debated what to do, in what must be a first for a group of conquistadors, as far as I can remember at least. They agreed to settle their competing claims peacefully and according to the law. Together, they set sail down the Magdalena and went back to Spain to make their cases to the king. Quesada's brother was left in charge of Bogotá until they got back. The king listened to the three of them in turn, and then he made a judgment. As it was Quesada who had first conquered the Muisca and founded the city, Bogotá, it, and everything to the north, would become part of the governorship of Santa Marta. It was not much of a win for Quesada, however as of course Santa Marta was governed by Lugo, the man who had funded his expedition. More accurately, this territory now went to Lugo's son, as his elderly father had died before having a chance to hear of Quesada's success. But Alcazar didn't do too well either. Just as Almagro had gone south into Bolivia and Chile, but he had very much hoped to retain Cusco as the capital of his new conquests. Belalcazar wanted to expand his territory into Colombia, but to keep Quito as his base. As well as denying him Bogotá and central Colombia, the king decided that Quito should stay under the control of Peru. Belalcazar wasn't punished for his disobedience at least, but his governorship was reduced to Popajan, Cali, and the now unpopulated Pasto region. It did also include the unknown territory to the north. So a decision was reached, but in the end it will only last about ten years. After that, the whole of today's Colombia, Belalcazar's land and the land controlled from Santa Marta, will be reorganised into a new unit, named the Viceroyalty of New Granada. Its capital will be Bogotá, and it will be given to a new succession of governors, sent from Spain, and unrelated to the characters in this story. Quesada was supposedly deeply disappointed to have not been given any land himself, and he spent years drifting aimlessly. Decades later, he and his brother would attempt to conquer the plains of southeastern Colombia, but they wouldn't be successful, and Quesada will die of leprosy, heavily in debt in the 1560s. The rest of Belalcazar's life was spent trying to consolidate his territory and seeing off rival Spaniards. The first of these conflicts began before he'd even returned from Spain. A Basque conquistador named Pascual de Andagoya 
unilaterally declared himself ruler of Popajan in Belalcazar's absence, but it didn't take long for him to be arrested and sent to Quito for trial. Having cleared himself of the charges against him, Erodia returned to Cartagena, which he had been allowed to retain possession of. Erodia marched into Antioquia, that vast unsettled region to the north of Cali, where Medellin is today. Belalcazar wanted it for himself, and so he raced up there and tried to get there first. In the end, Belalcazar got the upper hand, and he had Erodia arrested and sent to Panama for trial. The port there did not want to get involved in this conflict, and they didn't really need to, as it hadn't taken place within their jurisdiction. They released Erodia, who may or may not have made another unsuccessful attempt to seize Antioquia from Belalcazar. The sources are scarce and contradictory on this. Either way, a few years later, Erodia was arrested and sent to face trial in Spain for another set of charges, these relating to corruption, specifically misuse of the king's money, nepotism and mistreatment of the indigenous people. The ship taking him for the trial sank off the coast of Spain, and Erodia drowned. The final rival which Belalcazar had to see off was one of his own captains, Jorge Robledo, having gone north to conquer Antioquia for Belalcazar. Robledo had decided that he wanted to do as Belalcazar had done, and strike out on his own, taking his conquests with him. Belalcazar quickly moved in, and put an end to this rebellion. He had Robledo executed, but soon he was ordered to return to Spain and face trial for this. He never made it, dying of unknown causes in Cartagena. Colombia is a vast and geographically challenging country. Even today, parts of it, such as the majority of the Amazon, the Darien, much of the Pacific coast, and some of the remote mountains in the south, are only partially incorporated into the control of the country's central government. Many of these places can only be reached by boat or plane, and all of this made it very easy for left-wing rebels, right-wing paramilitaries, and drug gangs to take control of vast parts of the country during the country's recent civil war. You can argue, then, that these places were never properly colonised by the Spanish. Having said that, though, the core of the country came under their control during the years covered in this episode and the previous one. There are still a myriad of indigenous peoples in Colombia, but in terms of full-scale resistance, the Spanish will not face much more of a challenge. Having set up their bases, Bogotá, Santa Marta, Cartagena, Cali, Popijan, and even Santa Fe de Antioquia, today just outside Medellín, and founded by Andagoya. They were able to move out into the surrounding countryside and settle it. Today, these still form most of the major centres of the country. The human and political geography of the country, then, was established in just a few short years by Heredia, Quesada, and Belalcazar. They found some gold, as well as emeralds and salt, but although they had conquered El Dorado, the Spanish came away even more hungry for riches, and believing that it was to be found elsewhere. We will of course return to Colombia at some point in the future, but for now we will leave it, gradually growing in population and importance, as it becomes a transit route between Peru and the rest of the European world. Next time, we will turn our attention to neighbouring Venezuela, and that third man who had arrived in Bogotá.
This promises to be one of the most bizarre stories we've covered so far. You've been listening to the Latin American History Podcast, written and recorded by Max Sargent. For more information, visit the website www.maxargent.com slash the history of Latin America. And that's spelt M-A-X-S-E-R-J-E-A-N-T. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to get in contact at History of Latin America Podcast at gmail.com. You can also find the Facebook page by searching for the Latin American History Podcast. The Twitter handle is at History Latin AM. And if you've liked the show, you can help out by leaving a review on iTunes. Alternatively, if you visit the website, you'll see that each episode is accompanied by relevant photos. Most of these are my own, taken during my time in Latin America. All these photos and more are available to purchase as prints at my Etsy shop. You can find this at www.etsy.com slash photo. That's spelt www.etsy.com slash M-A-X-S-E-R-J-E-A-N-T photo. Thanks for listening. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.